Welcome to Centerpoint Church, where we're all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. We're so excited that you decided to join us today, and we believe that no matter where you're listening from, this message will enhance your connection with Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Goodness, goodness, how is everybody doing? Wow, it is so good to see so many familiar faces. Wow, guys, I am, uh, I am thrilled to be where it's a little warmer. It, it, it has been chilly in, in Tennessee. It's like in the 30s right now, and, uh, and I buy clothes from H&M, so they're real thin, you know, so this is, this is a treat being here with you guys today. Um, hey, listen, if, if it is your first time here and you have no idea who this guy is up here, I've come a long way, okay? I don't have holes in my jeans anymore, right? I wear long sleeve shirts. Uh, my name is James. I used to be the youth pastor here at this church, and then um, God sent Brooke and I across the country to Nashville, Tennessee to plant a church and to start something new last year. It's been officially a year uh, that we have been doing this with the community. And so I want to say thank you to all of you. And then secondly, I want to also, um, also just say, if this is your first time, your first couple times, this is a great church to be a part of. It was probably in 2010, I was just graduating high school. Yes, I'm very young. In 2010, I was graduating high school, and I was serving tables, and a man came into a table with Pastor Ann and Pastor John, and it was Dr. Robert Adu. He prophesied over me at a table, and he said, I want to give you this word, and I ran to go get drinks, and he followed me to the tables, and he said... He said, you're going to be a leader of leaders one day. God's going to use you to be a pastor, and it's going to be, you know, here in this country. And, uh, and I was rocked, and I went to church the next day. I hadn't been to church in a long time. And I stood in the back before there was stadium seating, and I watched this man preach, and I said, I want that. Not the microphone, not the platform, the real thing. I want Jesus. I want what he has. There's something on him that I want that I didn't have. And so that was in 2010, flash forward a couple of years, I became on staff here, and then God just took me on a roller coaster through the pandemic and to cross the country to plant a church. And so if this is your first time here, first couple times here, come back, hear Pastor John, hear the amazing pastoral team, the teaching team here is incredible. And with that being said, it's also Pastor Appreciation Month. Do you guys love your pastors here? Can, could you stand your feet? Can we just honor Pastor Ann, Pastor John? And the pastoral team here, I, I, um, okay, <laughs> y'all can sit down, they didn't know I was going to do that, but I would not be who I am without their leadership, without their, you know, they, they have the leadership skills, they have the prophetic, they have the anointing, they have just the sharpness, and they care, and they really are about the real thing, and, and I just, i I've, I've watched you dance in, in, in difficult seasons, and I just, I love both of you, and Brooke and I are better because of your, your just care and just for checking in on us, and so that's Pastor John and Ann. You guys should definitely come back and hear them if you haven't. We're here, though. You guys got your Bibles? Anybody, anybody bring a Bible with them today? I have a new Bible, so my pages stick together. This is a little dangerous. I'm feeling dangerous today, guys. Um, hey, I learned something, a couple of things about living in the South. Um, you just don't tell people you're from California. <laughs> you, know what you, say to, you know what you say to people, just a trick tip, okay? If you, if, you, if you need to tell somebody and they ask you where you're from, just say the West Coast. 
And then they ask you where, and, and you, you know, you just, you just go, you know, the state, you know, on the coast, the coastline. Because what ends up happening is you'll get in conversations where they think you're an actor. <laughs> I've had people, like the guy who helped me move in, he's like, where are you from? And I'm like, California. And he was like, you're an actor, aren't you? And he looks at me and I was like, no, I'm not an actor. He's like, that's part of the act. Apparently, we're all actors from Hollywood, guys, and so um, in the South, but um, no, all jokes aside, Tennessee has been amazing. I have great things to share with you and, and just, you know, lightheartedness. I want to share just a couple of slides. One is, is this kind of the timeline of what has happened in the last year. Many of you asked me questions. Uh, we moved in July of 2021. We had no idea what we were doing. We, we bought a house unseen. We started praying for people we've never met. We started believing for God to do things in areas that we've never been to before. We had our first prayer meeting uh, in September. It was at our house. Five people came. One of them was Chris Bruns. He came from this church, moved out there, and uh, followed us, which was incredible. And we were just believing for God to do things that were impossible, things that only God could take the glory for. In October, we started a 30-week Bible study where we went through the Gospel of John for 30 weeks together, um, and 11 people came the first week. I, I counted my wife twice because she was pregnant, and so it's really 10, actually, but we'll put 11 up there. That was the first week. In January through March, we did a 16-week discipleship where we just dove deeply into prayer and discipleship. The Lord was very simple uh, with me and how he wanted us to build this church. Foundations have to be built on teaching of scripture and in prayer. And those two things, if you have those two things right, everything else is a fad. Everything else will fade away, but that will remain. And so we did that for, for 16 weeks, 11 people committed to that, and that became a part of our launch team, was the first 11 people. Some of those people moved from Dallas, from Idaho, from different states, from California, and we had about 11 people commit to that. In April, we, uh, we kind of maxed out our house. We couldn't fit in my home anymore. It was a good problem to have, mostly because of the children. In the South, everybody likes to have kids, okay? Uh, and so my, my basement was, was just... It was, it was nuts. Uh, and so we moved uh, to the McCabe Community Center. We called it the, just the McCabe. And uh, that was the name. We were there for three months. And we felt like the Lord was, you know, really building a team. We had to do set up teardown every day or every week, guys. And I was getting up at 5 a.m., pulling a trailer, never towed a trailer in my life before. It was the scariest thing, pulling it into the city. Uh, I learned how to pray right there. That's really my message. <laughs> actually. Um, and so we had 32 people commit the first weekend with us. Uh, in June, we, we did a monthly uh, partnership. We, we felt like the Lord was calling us to do two things, uh, to, to step into areas where there's short lines. In other words, don't just do the other big city things that everybody else does. Find the real needs in your city where no one else is tapping into. And there was two things that the Lord really spoke to us, recovery centers because of my background, because of my wife's. And the second was the, the human trafficking rings that were out there. And the Lord called us into that ministry. My wife, every single week, is meeting with human trafficking survivors. And she is in a ring with, with, with about eight other survivors, a couple counselors. And then there's my wife. And my wife is, is, is praying for people. She's believing with people. We, uh, we adopted the freedom prayer ministry that we have here. And we've been doing freedom prayers for people. We've done it successfully five. I think they're successful. Uh, but... 
ultimately people love and they, they leave crying, I think that's a good thing. Uh, but, you know, they've, they've been blessed by that. Our team has been blessed by that. And then we launched in September. And in September was our first launch service. We had 71 people come at our first launch service. One person gave their life to Jesus. And, um, and the last thing I want to show you is just a slide of just, the, just some pictures. Um, you can see there was, there was about four people uh, that was on one of, our, one of our first couple months. And then, you know, we really believe that God moves in moments. And, um, and so praying for people was special. It's my wife, Brooke, giving her first message was incredible. God has been stretching her and growing her in incredible ways. That is the building that the Lord gave us. And so we actually meet on Saturday nights because we are honoring a lease agreement with another church and we get to bless them by continuing to, to allow them to use that space. But we have a church building um, and then you can see we had our grand opening service and then that picture in there. Can you guys see Lori Dieterman's back of her head right there? That's Freddie and Lori, guys. They drove all the way to Tennessee to be with us on our launch service. That's center point culture, guys. It's amazing. Well, listen, um, with that being said, we did come to get into God's word and I am so excited to be kicking off this new series called Signal Strength. How many of you guys are ready to level up today? Yeah? Okay, I didn't come all the way from Nashville just to entertain some people today. I really want to get into God's word together. Um, we are going to be starting this four-week, five-week series, and it's really going to be diving into your prayer life and really developing a, a lifestyle prayer to be a church that knows how to pray. Many of you know how to do this, and here's what I would say. Don't check out. Lean in. Press in. How many know that God can release a word and one word can change your life? Yes, yes, half the room, some of us, yeah. How many believe that God's word is eternal, that it is unshakable, it will change your life, it can change your life, it's changed mine. And so we're gonna be uh, diving into two passages of scripture, one in Luke chapter 11, and then we're gonna go over to Matthew chapter six. And what I would love for you to do is if you have a Bible and you want to, can you turn with me to Luke chapter 11? We're gonna read two verses, and I'm gonna give you the title of the message for today. And then we're going to jump quickly over to Matthew chapter 6. So Luke chapter 11, and then Matthew chapter 6. Luke chapter 11, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read this from the screen. Can we read this out loud? I love doing this with you guys. Ready? Begin. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Amen. So the title of the message for today is Teach Us to Pray. Teach Us to Pray, to really dive into the essentials of, of what is prayer, how does prayer work. And if you have your Bibles with me, and we can turn quickly over to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to dive in. Uh, how many of you know, as you're turning there, Jesus was a person of prayer? You know, fascinating how you can look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can look at the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you can see that at least over 29 times, Jesus is mentioned praying. He's mentioned praying. And, and I, I, uh, I didn't want to just take the word of Google for that and actually look at Bible Hub and look at the 29 times. I started looking through the reasons for why he prayed. And this isn't really a part of what we're studying today, but important to mention, I mean, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus starts with prayer before he starts his 40, uh, his 40 days in prayer, before he starts his ministry. 
So before a very, very big moment in his life, he starts with prayer. How many of us would say that before we start that new job, before we're thinking about making the move, before we're thinking about getting married, before we think these big decisions that we have, are we starting in prayer? I love the way Jesus in, in Luke 6, he climbs to the top of the mountain and, and, and he prays through the night before he chooses his 12 disciples. Like before he makes a really big commitment relationally, he, he started with prayer. Isn't that powerful? Uh, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus uh, after he commissions everyone to go and, and to into the cities, the 72 come back and he says, why don't you come away with me and let's go rest for a while. And he, and he invites them an invitation into prayer. Again, it's like after we've worked a busy week, are we, are we getting away to rest and Sabbath and pray and be present with God? I think it's, there's an invitation there. A couple more that I think are, are worth mentioning. Uh, Matthew 14, 13, Jesus withdrew to grieve the loss of his cousin, John the Baptist. I mean, how many of us, when we are in grief and loss, do we get away with the Lord to go and pray? Did you know there's an invitation to, uh, to invite the Father into your moments of grief? And, and some of us, I think we just, we just keep working and we just keep being busy and we, we don't actually process the trauma and the difficulties of the things we're going to. And maybe that's the word of the Lord for you today is, is you, need, you need to get away with the Lord and so that you can process and pray through grief. And the last one that I'll mention is Luke 23, 34. Jesus prays for those who tortured him on the cross. I mean, he was so embedded into the life of prayer that even when he was suffering on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What an invitation today. What can we learn from Jesus in teaching us how to pray. So did you, did you turn with me to Matthew 6? Are we there? Yeah. yeah, great. All right, so Matthew 6, we're gonna start in verse six. And this is the words of Jesus. I love it. He, he says this to his disciples. The reason why I read Luke 11 and now I'm reading this is because Luke mentions something that Matthew doesn't and that's the question of teaching us how to pray. Isn't that amazing how the disciples, in, in, in Luke's gospel, the disciples had already been with Jesus for quite some time. And, and they're finally asking him the question, teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples. In other words, there were a few of the disciples in the 12 that knew how to pray, but there were many that didn't. And how many of us know that prayer is essential to the life of being a follower of Jesus? And in Matthew chapter six, Jesus responds this way. He says, but when you pray, go away by yourself and shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. I wanna stop there for a second to, to, to note something. Many of us, we think this, this is the only way to pray because this is the way it's listed as well, but then I must be only praying in private. The reason Jesus is really mentioning this, if you read the, the paragraph before, is because he's talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees about why do you pray in public corners? And, and why do you only serve in public? And why do you only give one coin at a time? And you make it to where you get all the glory. So in response to this, he combats that by saying, let, let me teach you something about prayer. Prayer is not about the accolades of what we get from those around us. Prayer is about the humility and the simplicity of lifting your gaze to fix his, your eyes on his. Yeah. Let me say it another way. Uh, uh, if, if we're praying publicly, 
to get the praise from those around us, we have lost the model of prayer. We have, we have lost, we, we are not connected the way that we should be. In fact, Jesus says, you've already received your reward. Because what would happen is the Pharisees would go to the street corners and they would go to where there's an intersection to where they can use and amplify the brick around them and they would pray loud, robust prayers repetitively over and over so those that were passing by would hear their prayers and then they would give of of their, their legacy and give of their land and give of their resources to the religious leaders. So they were robbing from those who had nothing and they were using prayer as a vehicle to get their own personal gains. So Jesus is combating this and he's, he's speaking to his disciples. He says, better yet, let me teach you how to pray. When you pray, go away by yourself and shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. The thing I love about this is the simplicity of Jesus saying, hey, when you're in private, you're never alone. Your father who sees everything is with you. A simple way to break this down is this. Here's a, here's a basic principle for prayer. If you're praying in private, your father's there. If you pray with just one other believer, Jesus is there. And if you pray in unity, the Holy Spirit is there. Let me, let me break this down. Ephesians chapter four, the, the spirit of unity. The spirit of unity, one body, one mind, one spirit. In unity, the spirit, the Holy Spirit is present. Acts chapter two, the Pentecost we see that when 120 believers gathered in one accord, the Holy Spirit came. And he came and he didn't just fill the person, he filled the place. So when we pray in unity, when we move forward in unity, when center point is is in one accord, we are at our best because that is when the Holy Spirit is present. When we come in with our own agendas, and we come in with our fast to-do list, God, do these things for me, and we don't mention that there have been those who are intercessors who meet on Saturdays and are praying for us. There there are pastors who are in meetings weekly that are praying for us, and we don't join the accord that there are others here, that there are other things God wants to do. When we get in line and we come together, the Holy Spirit shows, and he moves in power. And so the Father is present with us in private. Jesus is present with us when we come in his name with one other believer. But when we come in unity, the Holy Spirit is present. Isn't that good encouragement to all of us? Verse seven, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. For they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. So in other words, there's... There's not just a manuscript that we need to memorize. There's not words that, biblical language is important for us to adopt that we don't lose our saltiness, but it's important for us that we we don't say things disconnected from the heart that we just say things that we've learned. That we don't just repeat the same things over and over again just as the Gentiles do, for they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating the words again and again. Verse eight, don't be like them. Further, your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. I feel that's a holy moment for some of us today. I really feel something on that from the Lord right now. Even when you don't even know what to say, if you just show up, 
He, he comes. He, he is scouring the earth to and fro, looking for his children. Not just those of creation, but those of covenant. Those of covenant that are his children that are looking. He's looking. He said, are, are, my, are my sons or my daughters, are their eyes and their focus on me? And if you come, even if you don't know what to say, can I tell you, some prayers don't need words. Some, some prayers, words are inappropriate. If you just show up and you say, I'm here. It's been a week. It's been a season. And you just come into his presence boldly, casting away the shame, casting away the sin that so easily entangles us. And you step into his throne room. And maybe we just for a moment before we bring our list of to-dos, before we bring the things that are so heavy on our plates, what if we came into the throne room of a king and we stayed in his presence and we addressed him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords? And this is how Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Verse nine. He says, pray like this. Now make sure that you see that. It doesn't, there's no asterisk that says, pray this prayer. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Let's, let's stop here for a moment and let's just address the, the situation we have we have Jesus who's teaching his disciples. The disciples come to him. One of them in particular, we don't know which one it was. It's not addressed by name. It's, it's not even worth mentioning our theories on this, but really there's a disciple who says, will you teach us how to pray? And, and something that's so powerful that happens, and there was a book I read by Peter Grieg. I think that's how you would say his last name, Grieg, Greg, Greg, sure. Uh, founder of the 24-7 prayer movement. Uh, Big, big deal guy. Uh, he, he wrote this in, in his book called Teach Us How to Pray by Ordin for Ordinary People. And this is his words, not mine. He says this. When one of the disciples asked, teach us to pray, he gave them the greatest prayer in world history. These were men who would go on to do extraordinary prayer lives. They would intercede until buildings shook. They would spring Peter from a high security jail by the power of prayer. Their very shadows and handkerchiefs would sometimes heal the sick. They would receive the kind of revelations that change cultural paradigms. And most remarkably of all, they would one day find the grace within themselves to pray for their torturers at the very point of death. This Kairos moment that the disciples are in right now where they asked him a question, teach us to pray, Look, look, look at this from a bigger picture. A simple question asking Jesus, teach us to pray, and he says, okay. And he invites them into this model and look at the results of the fruit. Cultural paradigms are, are shifted, turned upside down. Gentiles are welcomed, welcomed into Christianity. Look, look at the, the buildings that shook because of the intercessor and, and prayers of the saints. 
People that were in jail were set free because of the prayers of these people. Something about this prayer. If you're not seeing those results, folks, maybe there's something in here for all of us. I mean, he, he, he starts by saying, our Father in heaven. I think if we were all there, we would say, okay, I'm ready. Rabbi, teach me. And we would sit there and we would, we would wait for the words of Jesus. And then he would start with the first word as our. We all say that word out loud, our. That's right. You just took ownership of this. Our becomes, right? Our. Our father. Not a father. Not the father. Our father. Judas, an activist, with some fishermen and a tax collector. Our father. That means people who don't look like you, people who don't think like you, are invited into this invitation of prayer to our, the next word, Father. You pause and we think about this for a moment. God who created the cosmos and everything, God who holds everything together, Colossians teaches us about Jesus. He's, He's telling us something. He says, the title I want to be referred to as is not powerful king, though I am, is father, is dad. When you, when you come to me in prayer, address me as, as father. Address me as, as we're family, we're connected, we're in covenant, we're in relationship. He, before even the first word, He brings us in without us even second-guessing our worth by saying our, and then saying Father. He he makes no room for any of us to to self-ought ourselves out of the Lord's Prayer by saying our, Father, and then the next two words, in, where? Heaven, in heaven. In heaven. Heaven. I love the songs we were singing today, don't you, church? So we were, we were talking about Jesus over everything. He's seated, right, in the heavenly places. When you, when you pray, remember that God is seated above the things that you are going up against. For us in Nashville, guys, we, we have to be in this prayer model all the time because if we're not, we, we will just think this is impossible, how can we move across the country without the support of, of this, what we have here? How, how can we start something out of nothing and grow from, from nothing into 71 people gathering together? That, that happens because we have a father who's going, you know what, I, I need to bring this person along. I'm gonna strategically line them up here. I'm gonna bring this person here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring people together I'm gonna be the common denominator no matter what differences you might have theologically or politically, I become the common denominator. I become the father, you become my children. Learn to play together. (laughs) Our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. The model of prayer is not a manuscript. Though these words are biblical and powerful and we should use them, but the model of it is, hey, don't don't forget God is holy. 
Ah, we get comfortable with family, don't we? I mean, if he's our father, we get comfortable with our own physical dads, right? Sometimes we just kind of come in and we go, hey, what's for lunch? <laughs> what are we, what are we, we just, hey, can we turn on the game? We, we come right in and we just kind of get relaxed and sit down. But don't forget the reverence, the holiness of him. The fear of the Lord is reverence, is honor. We get tripped up on this because we're like, why should I fear someone that I love? If he's all loving, why should I fear him? It, it's because you know his nature. It's because you know him as, as a holy and a righteous God. It's, we, we address and we come into his throne room with reverence as a king. How would you address a king? This is how we ought to pray. Don't lose the, the holiness of this. I, I, I think even though it's not in the text, how, how many of y'all hate texting and you just rather call someone because you lose translation a little bit, right? Because you don't, you, you, the, the cadences, the pauses, the, the idiosyncrasies, the, the, just the different things in the pitch and the voice, I think we're losing some of the pauses in here. Some of the, the, the effects of, of he says, pray like this, and then he probably didn't say anything, and he probably lifted his gaze. The psalmist says, fix your eyes on me. My, my eyes, Lord, are fixed on you. Your face, Lord, I will seek. My, my face, my, my posture changes. When we pray, it, it's, don't think of it as just a holiday prayer or a family prayer. Think of this as, as coming into the throne room of heaven where endless impossibilities are made possible, where the blind can receive sight, where the deaf can, can hear again. Remember who you are addressing. This is the one where the shadow heals the sick. This is the one where people are raised from the dead. When we address him as king and Lord, we should come in with reverence into his throne room. May his name be kept holy on our lips. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I did some studying and... and uh, as, when, you, when you prepare for a message, sometimes you, you have no idea what, where you're going with some of these things. I was studying animals, and somehow I landed on microchips, okay? So just go with me for a second, all right? So I was studying microchips, and uh, I, learned, I learned about it. In 1952, there was this guy named Jack Kilby, okay? And Jack Kilby was working in northern Texas in 1952 in the summer, and, and he, was, he was new to this IT company, and so everybody else got to go on vacation for two weeks. It was part of their policy, but he had to stay and work for those two weeks. And he said, what am I going to do? I'm an engineer. So he started working on the first integrated circuit. He started working on the first microchip. And what ended up happening is he comes back. Everybody comes back from vacation. He goes, hey, let me show you what I've discovered. I've discovered what I think is going to make computers possible. What I think is going to accelerate us. And eventually, we might even be able to put somebody on the moon. And so he develops this, this microchip, and the way that it worked was there was endless cables in order to have a computer, miles and miles of cables. And he said, what if we could get rid of all of the cables, and we can build it, the model, out of all the fabrics of this, and compact it together? And he said, let's, let's test that theory. And so they did, and they came up with the first one CPU microchip. That one microchip is what gave us the ability to have cell phones, calculators in the nosebleed of, of a rocket put Apollo 11, a man on the moon. 
The powerful thing about the microchip is that it was a model that has been taken and they've kept the model and they've just changed some of the things and it's evolved. What I'm trying to say is what I'm teaching you today is a model, a prayer model. That not so much that we have to regurgitate the same words, but if, if we remember to, to slowly, to pause, to, to come in with reverence, to, to address him as father, to remember you're a part of something bigger than yourself, to just some of these basic principles, to, to remember to go away when you grieve, to remember to pray before big decisions, to remember that, man, before we even started the church, we spent three months just walking the streets of Nashville, just in prayer just praying with one another. We started praying. And if I was to show you that timeline picture, if you could, I'm sorry that I didn't put this in my notes, but if you could put that timeline picture back on, I want to show you something. If you notice before every single big thing that happened, prayer was involved. We noticed we had the first prayer night and then we started a Bible study. Then we had 16 weeks of prayer before we moved into a building. And then we, we, we started praying every single week. We launched an intercessor team, which some of the people are here in this room that are part of our intercessor team. And then we moved into a church building. Guys, that building became available once we started an intercessor team. But before we even had a community center, when we were like, what are we going to do? Like, my house is packed. I have no more chairs. Chairs are expensive, guys. <laughs> Just saying, okay? Uh, especially matching chairs. Coffee is expensive. I have a different appreciation for budgets, okay? Uh, and let me just say, every single thing started with prayer, and then God moved. God moved. It, it was like, hello, James, no matter how good your teachings are, no matter how good your mindset is, how good your plans are, if we could just ditch all the great ideas that we have and just say, you know what, it doesn't matter because if I'm just asking you to bless it, but it's really my idea and you didn't call me to carry it, then I'm gonna carry it and I'm gonna get exhausted. But if I just learn to just get alone in your presence and just say, God, whatever you want, your kingdom come, your will be done in my family, in this church, in my relationships, and those around us, in my neighborhoods, in my business, whatever you want, Forget my ideas, whatever your plan is, man, prayer works. Prayer is powerful. Man, I feel something on this word today, y'all. Oh, I said y'all. Oh, dang, I'm from the South. Look at verse 11. We're having fun. Give us today... The food that we need. I love that word today. It means it's a daily prayer. Another translation would say, uh, give, us, give us daily, right? The, the, the principle, the model is prayer should not be just a Sunday thing. Prayer should not just be for you to do at the holidays. Okay, holidays are around us, right? Thanksgiving. Some of us, you, it's your job. You're the saint in the family. <laughs> This is your role. You know it. Praying before me. Prayer should be a daily thing. And in fact, in the way he's describing it, prayer should be, you should have a private prayer life. You should, you should have a, a prayer. You should be praying daily. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins. Repentance. Repentance. One of the most powerful things that I learned through the freedom prayer teachings that we've been, we've been learning, I get to practice this with Anne, uh, is, Pastor Anne, is, um, is, is the repenting and the renouncing 
on your father's side and your mother's side all the way back to the seed of Adam for things that you've done and forward. Because some of the things that we are carrying is not even our own baggage. You, you keep wondering why you're stuck in the same cycle. Maybe it's because we haven't renounced and repented for the things that those who've gone before us. What if we drew a line in the sand and we said, no longer? <laughs> what would happen? What if we got dangerous enough in prayer to believe that God could break generational curses? Ooh, I feel the Lord right now on that. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I'm sure somebody else will teach on it in this series, but if you hold on to unforgiveness, your prayers aren't even heard by the Lord. Can I tell you the value of forgiveness? It's priceless, but it, it could hinder your prayer life. It could hinder the prayers that you have. Release them to the Lord. Release them. Repent of the things that you're holding on to. Remember, we have a judge. It's not us. And remember who's on trial. It's not those who we're holding in contempt. We have one enemy. The thief comes not to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, I, I learned this from, from a pastor, Robert Morris. He says, he says, the enemy doesn't even come unless it's to kill. So he's not leaving his post unless he knows what he's coming is actually to kill you, to steal from you, or destroy so in other words, if you're under attack, it's actually to take you out. And unforgiveness will uproot you. Remember, gifts are irrevocable, but assignments are. Your assignments can be taken from you. The thing that you have that the Lord wants to entrust you with, unforgiveness creates blinders, blind spots. It, it, it stops you from being able to effectively pray for people, to see people for who they are. Receive that word today. Release them unto the Lord. Forgive us of our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. The last verse, verse 13. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Don't let us yield to temptation. Yield. What is yield? To, 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 to get to the light, to, to yield before with caution, right? To linger, to, to stop, to, to stay a little wild. Jesus is so proactive in his approach to prayer. He's not even just saying, don't, don't let us sin. Don't, don't let the enemy attack us. Don't even let it be in our hearts to linger and entertain the idea. Don't even allow us to just settle here. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about the things that nobody else sees, your inner, your inner thought life. I'm talking about the, the habitation of your heart the place that you linger, the place you go to for escape, the place you, you rest in. The Psalms 1, the, place, the dwelling place, the sitting at the table. What table are you sitting at? Where, are you yielding to temptation? He says, but rescue us from the evil one because we have an enemy. We do. We have an enemy, but he is already under our feet. Jesus said, it is finished. The cross, the work of the cross is finished. The, the work of Jesus Christ is completed. We, we, we don't have to yield to those things. We can move past them. In prayer, we should be praying because spiritual warfare is a real thing. Can I say that again? It's, it's not just a weird thing for, for certain Christians if you think it's over-spiritualized. Guys, Christianity involves spiritual things. 
Okay, I, I, it, it, it really just gets on my nerves a little bit when people go, sorry, if I'm being over-spiritual, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we, we, have, we serve a kingdom that is not of this world. We are a part of a kingdom that is not of this world. We are citizens of heaven. There, there, is, there is eternal warfare going on, a battle that is, that is going on among us. And if I could get Rylan and the band to come back up here on the stage, really what I'm hoping for today, team, all of us that are here today, is that we would adopt this model of prayer. When Jesus, in, in, in Luke 11, as I'm getting ready to close, he, we read it out loud, he, he says, and when he returned from a certain place, there's a, there's a place. Jesus had places he liked to go to. He prayed in mountains. He prayed, he prayed in, in the olive groves. He, he, he prayed by the river. He, he loved to pray in certain places. Do you have a place? Do you have a place that you like to go to? If I was to show you my phone right now, I, I would show you my, my calendar because I work by vocation. I'm full-time in ministry and I'm full-time in another job with a full-time dad schedule, right? My, my prayer life starts at 5.36 in the morning. 30 minutes, it's a meeting. I show up, I come, and, 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 I, and I got a place. I got this chair, it's a little swivel chair, and I love to sitting in, and, and, I, and I'm sitting up before my kids are awake, and I, and I pray. Perhaps if you wanna start your prayer life, it's not just simply, okay, great message, Pastor James, yeah, I'm gonna start praying, and then we just leave and we never do it. What if we said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna block out time. If I got an hour lunch, I'm gonna take 20 minutes, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna have a prayer time. I'm gonna go sit in my car. I'm gonna go for a walk, put some AirPods in. I'm just gonna, just gonna pray and maybe be present with the Lord. Perhaps maybe for some of us, it's, it's the reason why you don't pray is because you never show up. So if you just had a certain place and you said, you know what, it's that chair, it's the table, it's my back deck, it's a place I love, it's the grill, guys. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, the, it's the trips to the store. Whatever you need to do, create a space and a place to where you say, when I show up here, I already know you're there. And when I show up, I'm, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna be present. This is our space, this is our place. And I'm gonna learn to pray. I'm gonna learn to be present. I'm gonna learn what, what is appropriate with words and what is not, and just to give you myself. And friends, that's all I'm asking of us today is if we would just lean into that prayer and just with, with, with as much audacity and faith that we have to believe God is for you. He is definitely not against you. We can see it from beginning to end. And if we could just pray together right now for every person who's in this room, I want you to know, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, John 14, 6 says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is not a way. He is the way. He is the life. He is not an option of life, just the Christian life. He is the essentials of life itself. Without him, we have nothing. And so if you need to give your life to Jesus today and you're saying, I, I want what that man has, just like I was in 2010, standing in that back corner over there. I want what that pastor has up there. There's something about that Jesus person that I don't have that I want. If you want that Jesus today to save your life, to wreck your life, to transform your life and adopt this model of prayer, would you just so boldly just raise your hand? Come on, I came all the way from Nashville just for one person to give their life to Jesus today. Make my day. If you wanna give your life to Jesus today, accept him as your Lord and Savior. I'm looking around, it's kind of dingy and lights, but look in the room. 
Your Father who sees things in private sees this moment. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we adopt you as our Lord and our Savior. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We receive you right now as our Lord and Savior. And we ask for your forgiveness for the things that we have done. And right now, we choose to be born again because of your Holy Spirit that is alive and at work within us. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. God bless you, Center Point.